We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lekumski, uh enjoying my retirement here in New Athens, Illinois. And this is Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark, enjoying still serving as a pastor at Ascension Lutheran Church in picturesque South St. Louis. And, and you take John and you take Matt and you put them together and you get wrestling no, with the, the basics. basics. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> you get them together. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, Mostly if we were back if, in the old days when we would have been in the same studio, we would have had that right, right on cue. But now you can't see me. I can't see you. Uh, this strange world we live in that's called COVID. Um, so, Matt, what I'd like to do, uh, I've got I'm going to get right into it uh, today. OK. Um, on this uh, second uh, week now in the season of Lent, because um, I want to pick up some things we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, starting good. with starting with the the issue you brought up two weeks ago uh, from First uh, Corinthians seven twenty nine, where Paul says this incredibly strange thing. Um, from now on, uh, and literally what it says in the Greek, uh, let those having women. Um, let's see if I can find it here. Yeah, let those having women uh, as if they had none. That's what it literally says. I think the English says uh, those who have wives uh, live as though, but it literally it just says those who have women uh, as if they had none. Um, and that's a difficult passage. And in fact, when you brought it up, which I thought was strange, uh, Lynn and I had been wrestling with that passage too. Uh, and, and she was interested in doing a study on it because she is my woman. <laughs> we both have women. <laughs> yes, we do. And so what does this mean for the woman uh, in the context? And it does stand in contrast to Paul's words in Ephesians 5, where he says, you know, if a man has a woman, he should love her like Christ loved the church, which is something far different than just acting as if he didn't have a woman at all. Um, and and so, so, Matt, whenever I have a difficult scripture passage, what, what I like to do is I like to go to people that are smarter than me. Uh, uh, and, and, and you know why I do that, Matt? Why do you do that, John? Because <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> For me, it's really easy to find someone smarter than me. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Um, so, so what I did is, is I, I, I did some uh, research and found out that Luther, Martin Luther, who certainly is brighter than me, <laughs> you don't have to go that far to find someone brighter than me, but Luther would certainly be, uh, and he has an interesting answer to the, uh, the question. Now you, you gave us an answer. What was your answer, Matt, to what Paul means when he says, if, if, if those who have a woman, uh, as if they didn't, sure. uh, yeah. Yeah, at least in part, this idea of living in the end times. Uh, and what yeah. I picked up on was uh, verses 29 and 30, uh, where, where Paul says, uh, the appointed time has grown very short. Uh, from now on, uh, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And then uh, verse 31, especially, um, for the present form of this world is passing away. So 
It's already in the first century, living in the end times, the present form passing away. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, if that's true of Paul's day, you know, 2,000 years later, how much more are we living in the end times than the present form of this world passing away? <laughs> uh, the time has grown short. Well, our time is super short if it was short 2,000 years ago. So in light of the knowing that Christ is coming to renew all things, that as Jesus points out, there's going to come a time in heaven where we're going to be like the angels in, in, in that we are not married or given in marriage. <laughs> that time is coming. And so with that in mind, with that in view, how do we live in this present time in anticipation of this time growing short? So, so the, the, uh, and, and so you'll be glad to hear this, that, that Luther would emphasize the same thing. Uh, the context, like you said, that the time is short, the, that the world is, is passing away. Uh, and whenever I find a smart guy agreeing with me, which isn't often, <laughs> which is why when I find out, I'm really happy. <laughs> okay. So you, you should go be back. Happy. We had to go back 500 years to find someone who agreed with us. On this. <laughs> That's right. Oh, no, I'm sure there's a lot of other smart guys that agreed with you. <laughs> in fact, the striking verse that, that uh, I had not noticed in our discussion because see that's the problem we, we had a section of verses we read them uh, and, and and you pointed out the immediate context there about the time is short the world is passing away but but if we'd read verse 26 paul says explicitly i think in view of the present distress it is good for a person to remain as he is uh, uh, and so Paul is actually informing us that the advice he's given here does not necessarily apply to all times and all pl places, but it does apply where there is this present distress, as he says. And I think I think that's why often Paul in this section, he, he talks about as if he's giving his, well, for example, what is it, uh, 725, he says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And I think Paul is saying, you know, this is one of those instances where I'm not giving you universal advice, but certainly in the present context, I would think as one who knows the Lord's mercy, yeah, this this would be what I would suggest. Um, and, and we got to realize, because, you know, that have you ever gotten into that argument? Did Paul think the world was actually going to come to an end within his lifetime? Have you ever gotten to that argument, Matt? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, if Paul didn't, certainly the people he's writing to did, uh, perhaps here in Corinth, but also I think especially like First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, that really comes out. Well, and, and the thing is, maybe Paul did think uh, that, uh, see, that's not contrary to the inspiration of the scripture, because Jesus Christ says, no man knows the day or the hour. So if Jesus says that, I don't think the apostle Paul knew either. And so he might judge. And in fact, that's what we got to realize. The present distress is the word that Paul uses. And, 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 and the fact of the matter, during times of persecution, uh, admittedly, the early Christian church wasn't always persecuted, and, and it wasn't persecuted everywhere. Uh, in fact, it was a lot of times a regional thing, right? Maybe there'd be a crop failure. And so the problem is those Christians, you know why your crops fail, don't you? Because those Christians, they don't make sacrifices to the gods. You know, at least the Jews, he doesn't sacrifice to the Roman gods, but at least they sacrifice to some god. But those stupid Christians, they don't sacrifice to any god, you know? 
Um, although there were times when the Roman emperor would hate Christianity, and it literally would be throughout the Roman Empire that you literally risked your life to be a Christian. I mean, at any moment, your property could be taken away. You could be killed. Uh, so in that kind of present distress, I think everything that Paul says makes perfect sense. Uh, and by the way, can I make an editorial comment, Matt? Sure, John. Go, go well, ahead. I, I see a lot of Christians whining about how rough we have it. Oh, my gosh. We're just, people are pushing us around and everything. I'm thinking, you come with me <laughs> to the early church, to cities like Corinth, where people were literally being dragged away and fed to the lions. That's That's where it's rough. Christians don't have it rough. I'm sorry. Not in the United States, anyway. They certainly do probably in places like China, no doubt. But uh, all right. Uh, Yeah, I do think, think, you know, kind of what you brought up, did did Paul think that Christ is returning? And and I I think we'd say, well, yeah, I think that's kind of the simple answer is yes. And I think really that's incumbent upon every Christian of any generation to think, yeah, Christ is returning (laughs) and it might be in my lifetime. So I better get ready uh, for the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and uh, Jesus' return. Uh, so, yeah, whatever our, our outward circumstances are in the United States or elsewhere, uh, to just be ready. That's that's what Jesus calls us to do, at least, and to to look at our Christian lives even now uh, through that lens of of Jesus' eminent return. And, and I might remind people in, in that regard that there is that passage, passage, I believe, in Matthew where where God says, you know, things are going to be going along pretty much as normal. And then the end will come. (laughs) So if you're looking for some period of heightened terror and and no, no, that may not be, you know, it could just happen when you're just having an an everyday uh, normal activity. So you're right. We need to realize that he is coming and he could come at any time. Watch the text uh, the scripture says over and over again. But but here's one final thought about this because I want to get off of this. But there's another contextual thing that I had never noted, but Luther pointed out, if you would read the beginning of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, because here's the context that prompts Paul to make these comments he makes. Sure. Have you got, got that there, Matt, or should I read it? Yeah, First uh, Corinthians let's seven, see. One. 7 verse 1. Now, concerning yeah. the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Okay, so so there's actually a false teaching that Paul is trying to address. Apparently, there were people in Corinth that said, if you really want to be a truly good Christian, you need to abstain from all sexual relations with a woman. Uh, so not uh, um, chastity, which is, it's okay, you have, have sex all you want as long as it's your wife, but celibacy, that that's what God really wants. And, and you know what I think, Matt? I think where people were saying, yeah, that's what Paul teaches. Yeah, because, well, you know, Paul doesn't have a wife. Yeah. And, and Paul said something about, you know, if, if, you have a, if, you, if you have a woman, you should live as if you had none. So this is the teaching that comes from the Apostle Paul. And and I would invite all of our listeners to reread 1 Corinthians 7 in light of that false teaching. And then you realize everything Paul is saying is addressing that particular error. And, and Paul is acknowledging, yeah, yeah, I, I don't have a wife. Yes, yes, I, I have recommended that in light of the present distress, probably it would be better for people not to have uh, spouses, because at any moment, uh, the world could come to an end. Um, can, can I give you a concrete example? Uh, 
this whole issue of celibacy was a big thing for Martin Luther, right? Sure. Because at that point, you, if you were a priest, uh, a nun, you couldn't marry. Uh, and of course, what was Lutheran teaching about that? About well, that you could get celibacy. Married. <laughs> 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 That's right. Was Luther teaching at the time? Oh yeah, as a monk, yeah, the celibacy, and he was himself was celibate. And and so a lot of people were pressing him, saying, Luther, you need to practice what you preach. You need, need to get married. And what Luther said to them is, you know, right, my life is on the line, right? The Pope has yeah. called for my head, so why would I want to marry a woman to turn around and make her a widow? So again, in that present distress, probably Paul's advice would hold. No, you probably don't want to get involved in these things because at any moment it could come to an end. But I'm simply saying that that's not our circumstances now. And, and I think what Paul was saying here is trying to explain why he took the position he took, but he certainly isn't advocating celibacy. In fact, over and over in chapter seven, he says, if you if that's something you need uh, if you can't control your lust, and who can, Matt? <laughs> oh, man, the trouble I'd be in if I didn't have a woman. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So anyway, I just, if any final comments about that, Matt? Well, thanks for sharing, John. <laughs> no, but I, I know I, I think that's a, a, a point well made. So he's not advocating for celibacy, but he's also not advocating necessarily for, for marriage. Um, yeah. either you know or maybe i maybe i should rephrase that he's not he's not he's not he's not disparaging marriage or celibacy let's put it that way he's not knocking either one really he's he's holding them up both as as good estates really and yeah. some people perhaps do have that gift of celibacy and and thanks be to god for them i think sometimes uh in the church today um, you know, in the church in the past, maybe people held up celibacy as a higher or holy thing. I think sometimes in the church today, though, we do the opposite. You know, mm. we think, well, if someone's not married. Um, you know, they're they're in their thirties. You know, pushing forty. Uh, what's wrong with them? You know, um, are are they hiding something? No one wants to marry them. What's going on? And and sometimes people just have that gift of of being single, of, of being celibate, and. Uh, some of those people, at least here at Ascension, are some of the greatest blessings for our congregation. <laughs> and uh, and I think there's truth to what Paul's saying that, yeah, they're maybe not distracted by the, the as much the, the day-to-day things. Not that those things are bad or, or lesser things, but they have a little more time to devote to perhaps direct service to the church. And certainly we see that. So, yeah, we don't want to... Um, detract from either one uh those those states that god has created both of marriage and of singleness and celibacy and and that that what you said about the singles matt i think that is so so important because i know for a lot of single people in our culture it does seem like I mean, there's something wrong with me they do seem like the odd man out our, our society really is oriented uh, around couples but thank you yeah uh, for all the singles out there no no that that's that's a good thing too uh like you say it gives them more opportunity to to love and care uh for for the, the people around them and certainly gives them opportunity to serve the lord in the church um I'd, I'd like to close with a quote from luther who who actually he says this seems like paul's contradicting himself and uh, how can we reconcile these seeming inconsistencies, Luther said, by making the Christian faith distinct from the faith of the Jews and Turks, yes, of the papists even, by accepting the fact that the Christian's attitude toward this earthly life is the attitude of the guest. 
that in such capacity is he to build, to buy, to have dealings and hold intercourse with his fellows, to join them in all temporal affairs, a guest who respects his host's wishes, the laws of the realm and of the city and the customs of the end, but at the same time the Christian refrains from attesting his satisfaction with this life as if he intended to remain here and hope for nothing better. So I just love that picture of Luther. Yeah, we need to remember we're guests here. So as guests, we take advantage and use uh, and respect uh, our, our host. Uh, and yet on the other hand, we remember we, we're not going to stay here forever. But we do look forward to seeing our women up in heaven as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> All right, so here, here's the second thing, because I want to get this squeezed in uh, before we're done. Uh, so uh, last week, I told you I thought I was becoming my grandmother, uh, and I am. I'm becoming a curmudgeon. I, I, I just Because my grandmother was a great, fine Christian. She got me into this whole Christian thing. And yet, as she got older, she didn't like changes in the church. Uh, for her, particularly, was the individual communion. That was the big change. And I was expressing that I don't like some of the changes, uh, something you actually did uh, uh, last week, which was the imposition of ashes. Now, now, people need to understand that may be common now, but when I grew up, no, 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 we never did that. And uh, I have some discomfort with that. Uh, and I had some reasons, Matt. I just want to review those real quickly. Biblical, biblical reasons, Matt. Um, could you read uh, Mark? Uh, where is that passage at? Um, yeah, Matthew, Matthew 6, uh, verses 16 through 18. Sure. You got that? Yeah, yeah. And when you fast, Jesus says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. All right, so so here's my concern. The Bible's really clear that when you're going to do a repentant act, like fasting, okay, that's what fasting is about. It's a sign of repentance. You keep it private. You keep it secret. You, you don't do it out in public where everybody can see it. Uh, and, and in fact, it specifically says you shouldn't be marking your face up. Uh, and yet that's what we do on Ash Wednesday. You mark people's faces up. Now, you actually had an excellent answer to that. Do you remember what the answer was that you gave me, Matt? Well, well, sure. Yeah, I think it's it's multifaceted. Again, that reminder of sins and ash and sackcloth from the Old Testament, uh, but then also the sign of the cross, the, the shape that the ashes are in, that reminder of a Savior. And then uh, that, that third part that I really like is is baptism. That is, you wash off those ashes at some point, uh, probably in private, in, in your shower, your sink. You know, remember your baptism. Remember that you are cleansed and forgiven uh, in Christ. So, so, okay, so you point out that actually there's some really wonderful symbolism that, that, that lies behind all of these things, and that, in fact, people aren't, people aren't doing it for show when, when they come to your church to do it. They're, they're thinking Hopefully about Hopefully not. It. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so that's the next passage I wanted to share, Mark 7, uh, verses 18 through 23. I want to just read verse uh, 21 to the end there, verse 21. Okay, so let's see here. Mark chapter 7, uh, verses verse 18 21. through 23. Oh, verse 21. Yeah, just or, start with 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. 
All right. So, so the point Jesus is making here, and he's actually addressing the issue of, of uh, dietary restrictions, but the, the principle applies to everything we do outside of us. The things you do on the outside of us do not change what's going on in the heart. Okay. So, so again, it's a hard issue. So if, if someone is coming to church and they're doing this so that they can say, Hey, look at me. <laughs> look how repentant I am. I've got two or three. I went to two or three services. I got crosses all over, ashes all over my forehead. <laughs> well, then that, that'd be a sin. All right. I think yeah. we can all agree with that. Yeah. In fact, Jesus says, You got your reward. You want people to look at you, people look at you. But you're right. I, probably most people aren't doing that. Uh, and, and so that's what. I need to remember it's, but, but see, this is the other reason Luther said this about these kind of practices. He said, these are the things of children. And, and, and I believe what he meant by that is children like to, to pretend. What, what kind of things did you pretend about when you were a kid, Matt? <laughs> I guess did, normal kid stuff, John. <laughs> like what? What, what, what? Well, I, we, I remember setting up army guys with my dad and okay. sometimes we'd have pretend battles. Uh, together, so yeah, stuff like that. All right, and people, you know, kids do uh, cowboys and Indians. Sure, uh, though you can't probably—that's not politically correct anymore. So we can't <laughs> do that. Uh, we, we didn't do cops and robbers. We did spies because you know I was in the time of the Man from Uncle and I Spy and all those TV shows. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with pretend. In fact, child psychologists will tell you that's a good part of growing up and becoming mature. You got to pretend at these things before you do the real thing. But I would remind people that, that, you know, the symbolism is great. I'm not denying that, Matt. But when you put ashes on your forehead, you are no more repentant than you were before you had the ashes put on your head. It's just, it's a pretend thing. Uh, it's not, not the real thing. That doesn't make people repentant. You're not any more repentant because you went and had ashes put on your forehead, which brings me to my final passage that I didn't talk about, which is why I wanted to bring it up again. Matthew 15, 8 through 9. All right. Matthew 15, verses 8 through 9. Let's see here. Okay. Uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, so, so the, the point is, you can do these things if you want to do them. That's fine, okay? But please remember, they're not real, okay? Uh, and, and what concerns me is the church does have real things that do actually change the heart. Um, you can do the ceremony of the imposition of ashes. It has all this beautiful symbolism, but it doesn't make anybody really repent. But Matt... When you preach, and when you preach the law, and I know you do this, and you do it well, okay, that actually does change people's hearts. Then they do realize, like I just confessed, that we have a lot of lust, even, even at my age, 68, just turned 68, Matt, and the lust is still there. Far worse, though, is the doubt. I just constantly find myself doubting God, despite the fact he's doing good things for me every day. He's answering my prayers, and yet I still, still wrestle with doubt. Now, now that doesn't come from any outward ceremony, but it does come from when you preach the, the word of the law. And, and here's the other thing. 
uh, when you apply the water of baptism, that's not a sign. That's not a remembrance of things. That actually literally changes somebody. And the same thing when you give the Lord's Supper. That's not a sign. That's not just a thing of remembrance, but that's really the body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And you know what the difference is between baptism and the Lord's Supper and, say, the little ritual of the imposition of ashes? You know what the difference is, Matt? God's promise attached to the the water and the body and, and the bread and the wine. So there you got it, right? I'm sorry, there's no promises. You you can have your litur- liturgical services. You can do all that. You can have Lent. You can celebrate Easter. I got nothing against any of that. But they don't have any promises. There's no promises that you're going to be better off by doing any of that stuff. But when you hear the word preached, when you're baptized, when you receive the Lord's Supper, they got that clear promise that that makes all the difference in the world, that all your sins are forgiven, and uh, that heaven is ours. And no matter what happens in this world, even in these present distresses, the Lord's not going to abandon us. So so anyway, Matt, uh, we want to talk more about being curmudgeonly uh, next week. Oh, um, John, great. <laughs> and, and this has been... Wrestling Wrestling with the the basics. basics.